tell me about this judgment and the article that you've written for the Village magazine. Well, I was very struck by the judgment of uh, Richard Humphreys um, in this immigration case. You know, it's it's uh, really offbeat in terms of family law and so on, but but it has far more relevance for the kinds of issues that I've been talking about for 20 years than it has perhaps for immigration law. Because it concerns a, a Nigerian gentleman who came here and, and um, some years ago got married, divorced, split up, didn't divorce, got a woman pregnant, got another woman pregnant. And in the end, uh, he was, or it was an order issued for his deportation and he appealed that on the basis that he was about to be the um, father of uh, uh, an Irish citizen. And uh, it's a little bit of a rigmarole, but that's essentially the point. And uh, he came before Richard Humphreys in the High Court and Richard Humphreys came up with this quite extraordinary judgment, in my view, in all kinds of ways. It made some headlines uh, immediately in relation to its, uh, his remarks on Article 43.3, which uh, is nowadays known as the Eighth Amendment, um, in which he really took the government to task, the state to task, the Minister for Justice, uh, for having come before him trying to argue that the child had no rights the unborn child had no rights other than the right to be born and this was under article 43.3 and he listed uh, you know really a litany of rights that the child had yeah the unborn child has property rights um, if they're injured in the womb yes, they, can right. sue, they can sue yeah. um, all kinds of rights right to identity uh, yes even if they're stillborn yeah. and this raises a very interesting point sir in relation to the present for uh, uh, ongoing row about the Eighth Amendment it shows the irrelevancy of this because what people forget people make the same mistake uh, generally as the government made in its submission in this case it assumed or tried to suggest uh, to represent the case as being that the chi- all the rights of the unborn child are in are sort of crammed into Article 43.3 that is absolutely not the case so it is highly arguable that it is actually irrelevant whether or not Article 43.3 remains there or not. The child remain, will continue to have rights. And, and those who, on either side, who insist that this is this has now become you know, a great sacred cow of, of public discourse, but in actual fact, the child has... You see, this argument was made at the time, back in 1983, I remember. I remember my own father, who was driving a mail car, making it. The child already has rights. You're, what they tried to do was kind of a belt and braces approach, where they would copper fasten these rights. And in fact, they, it's arguable that the, the, the Article Forty Three Three caused more slippage in relation to uh, the rights of the unborn child than otherwise. However, the point is, and Richard Humphreys emphasises this and and really upbraids the the state for making this case in the way that it did, um, that the child has an abundance of rights under all kinds of of instruments, all kinds of statutory, common law and European law. Uh, Yeah, not just in Ireland. I thought that was a key point. That's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And and the Convention on Human Rights. uh, All of these instruments all recognise the child... uh, in a, the unborn child in a very, very fundamental way. And I thought it was a really... Uh, you see, we get caught up in this uh, spurious notion in relation to abortion that we are talking about conservatism versus progressivism. We're not. We're talking about human rights. Now, we're talking about a balance of human rights per, per, in relation to the mother and the child. Uh, but it is human rights, and it is the human rights of the child. And I, I really find it repugnant when people start kind of cheerleading on the basis of, you know, the right to choose and the freedom of the, the woman to uh, control over her body. There is another human being involved. And the, I'm delighted to see in this respect and in others that the courts are alert at this, uh, at last to these questions. Uh, so I really thought at that level alone, 
um, I thought this judgment was superb and really, really interesting and should, in a healthy society, would throw the cat among the pigeons. I have a doubt that we're talking about a healthy society here, unfortunately, uh, because unfortunately all the reporting of this virtually, all the debates on this are highly ideological. They are not actually to do with facts or, or, or human rights or, 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 or indeed law. And I think that's greatly to the detriment of, of both uh, the, the, the unborn child and indeed the mother, because we're not actually getting a clean look at what the facts are. Now, the judgment also um, said a lot of things about the family and the modern family. And you yeah. touch on that in your article, too. Yeah, well, that for me, that was, uh, you know, the reason I wrote the article was this really. I mean, the, the abortion thing had been fairly well teased out in, in some articles in the newspapers, but nobody really seemed to pick up this point. And, and it's the greater part of the judgment where essentially what the he's he's pulling together different uh, uh, developments legally the Lisbon Treaty for example uh, article uh, the the, the same sex marriage amendment so called uh, uh, or marriage equality amendment so called uh, and the children's rights amendment so called and he's essentially saying and it's quite extraordinary if if you don't mind I'll read a, a lengthy section because it's quite interesting he says the 34th amendment that's the last year's amendment, has extended the availability of marriage to a range of same-sex relationships in contexts that would have been unthinkable when the Constitution was adopted. To regard this as a mere technical extension of the category of persons who may marry, rather than a quantum leap in the extent to which the Constitution is oriented towards respect and protection for a diversity of private family relationships, is to artificially separate literal wording from history, culture and society. And that's in the context of that this is what they call a non-marital family. That's right. And that there was a Supreme Court case, oh God, 30 or 40 years ago, that said an unmarried father had no constitutional rights whatsoever to access uh, to their to Well, that was all he, that, the, the court, there was a, a fair Famous judgment in 1990 by Chief Justice Fenley, uh, where he made an extraordinary uh, definition. I mean, it has, and every, all the all, all uh, legal um, interpretation of the rights of single fathers, unmarried fathers, has kind of gone along with this right along the way. Uh, uh, and he said that very nearly that he was talking about relationships which bear nearly all the characteristics of constitutionally protected families. In other words, even if you're, if you're not married, if you're living together, uh, where the rights will be very extensive indeed. And he, he actually he created a gamut of rights as between that on the, on the upper end and at the lower end, a one-night stand, for example, where you would virtually have no rights, where a father would have no rights. Now, that's something that I think should be arguable and will be arguable in the future because it's actually the issue as it affects the child is the same regardless of whether the father is a one night stand or not, and I think that that the, the the law in itself, in its own way, is uh, somewhat backward in that respect. However, what is extraordinary is that he said he quoted from that, and he talked about uh, the judge who actually quoted uh, the judgment he was quoting from was McKechnie from two thousand and eight, and McKechnie had said, quoting that from Finley, he said. If I, as I respectfully suggest, our society, which is governed by a constitution, which declares the principles of prudence, justice, charity and human dignity, may in its maturity so agree, should there not be a greater recognition of the type of father whom I mention? In other words, at that, that was 2008. And, and Judge Humphreys goes on, nearly 10 years on from the expression of that view. 
the state submissions are still mired in the middle of the last century, while its citizens are voting with their feet and continuing to engage in a much wider range of family relationships than the state is prepared to acknowledge as having constitutional rights. And that's a reference to the fact that one in three children now born in any given week in this society are in this situation. Their father, their, their parents are not married, therefore their father has no rights uh, as a parent, automatic rights, and they have no rights. They are therefore discriminated against as opposed to a child who lives next door whose parents are married. Why is that? That is unjust. Now, the point that that, that, that I interpret, and indeed I'm not interpreting, this is what he is effectively saying, uh, Judge Humphreys. He's saying that, look, you brought gay marriage in, and that's great. You recognise these kinds of relationships. But you can't skip to the end and ignore all the, 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 the elephants in the room. You know, what about all these other rights which you have, have neglected to, to, to address? And, you know, I, I say in the article about the present uh, Minister for Justice, Francis Fitzgerald, that she is the worst minister, uh, the most anti-father minister that we've ever had. Okay. Well, the so-called the much celebrated Children and Family Relationships Bill, uh, which she brought in, Act, which she brought in last year before the amendment uh, was put to the people, um, in which he dealt with various issues which might arise. But this was mainly directed, again, at the same-sex marriage provision. But one of the most insidious elements of it was a provision that instead of giving automatic rights to single fathers, which would have, she should have done in the circumstances where she was giving rights basically to, to non-parents to be parents uh, in, in, in terms of, of the constitutional amendment and so on, what she did was she introduced a provision whereby a father could get automatic, uh, as they called it, uh, some automatic uh, right, uh, automatic guardianship, if he could show that he had lived for for a year with the mother, including three months in the life of the child. Now, first of all, most of the people involved in this are young men. They don't have the wherewithal to have an apartment set up in time for the, the birth of their child. Um, secondly, uh, uh, you know, this is uh, like we are in a situation where previously the father had to go to court. You could get the consent of the mother, or you could go to court and, and argue his case. And now, what we actually, the government has actually given, the state has actually given the courts a, an opt out because they can test every case against this uh, this provision. In other words, this will become the sole criterion. I know how the courts work. This will become the sole criterion. The Humphreys judgment? No, no. The, no, the, the idea of having, oh, did you or did you not live for a year? Oh, with yes. The, well, now, what this, is, what this is most interesting is, you see, how, the father can only live with the mother if she agrees to live with him. Mm. So why should the rights of the father and more importantly, the rights of the child be predicated upon whether the mother wants the father to be involved or not? This has always been the bugbear. And in fact, anyway, that isn't really dealt with in this judgment, but uh, he doesn't go quite that far, but he goes a long, long way and he really uh, upbraids the government for its approach to this. And he, read, to my mind, it was a, it's a quite a, a radical judgment. In the same-sex marriage amendment, Referendum, I, which I opposed on grounds to do with these issues, uh, I set out a scenario whereby something else might happen. In other words, that the courts might go on to interpret the, the, the change in the constitution, extending rights to gay couples, extending rights in effect to, uh, as a, with the combination of the Children and Family Relationships Bill, to new relationships uh, as opposed to primary relationships that we would actually end a situation where the parent 
who was left behind from a broken relationship would actually lose out completely to the new relationships. Yeah, because what the Constitution says is that the family is based on marriage. Mm. So I thought maybe a classic case might be a surrogacy where there's a gay couple who are married. Yes. And the surrogate mother might lose the right to the child. That was my one, but you could probably well, have foreseen well, a similar that, one. That where... would happen willy nilly. Uh, yeah. Uh, but what what could happen? Uh, what I envisage a possibility was that if a relationship breaks up, a marriage breaks up, and one of the uh, as a result of this legislation and the amendment uh, that a new relationship is formed, that the changes which have been mainly in the Children and Family Relationships Bill, that they come before the court, that the new uh, relationship. Uh, that one of the parents and another new partner will it be gay or straight it doesn't matter in mm. this context but nevertheless it arose from this, these changes uh, that they would actually have better rights superior rights to the parent who was left behind yeah Regardless of whether it was male or f- that, that parent was male or female, I think that that probably is. now yeah. what Humphreys has done—he's gone completely in the opposite direction. He's actually saying, "No, look, the intention and the spirit of the changes that you have made implies that you want to fix everything, that you want to actually embrace all diverse families, and that must include." single parents it must include unmarried fathers it must include everybody that's that's what he's saying and that's exactly what the government did not want yeah you see because that was this was a really sneaky sn- uh, attempt to to remove rights from natural parents and that's why these the, the politicians like Francis Fitzgerald and, and Indy Kenny and Mihal Martin have procrastinated and uh, neglected or overlooked, uh, let's be kind, you know, uh, to give rights to single fathers. I mean, I've been screaming about this for 20 years and uh, it's it's staring people in the face. Why do you think, even today, that that case for fathers' rights is still not making headway? I mean, this this judgment, which is entirely unexpected, is the first glimmer of hope that the case you've been making Because we have a sick society. We have a sick media who are only interested in trendy issues. You know, I mean, I'd say but to you. But why aren't fathers' rights listen, trendy? Listen, well, I'll tell you. I mean, when young men come to me now, grief stricken at having lost their children and not having, looking to go to court and they run out of options and they have no money and so on and so forth, I say to them, Have you ever thought of finding a young man for yourself and settling down? Because then you walk into court and you have maximum rights. Maximum rights. Now you have none. That's the kind of sick society we have now. And I really f- object to politicians parading themselves as progressives when they are, in fact, like Francis Fitzgerald, like Michal Martin, like Enda Kenny, all these people, deeply, deeply, deeply reactionary people, deeply, deeply indifferent to the rights of people, to the real human rights. They're interested in trendy issues, fashionable rights, which are dictated by multinational corporations and the like. But they are not interested in real people and the suffering that they're experiencing as a result of the discrimination they, they meet day and daily in our tyrannical family courts. Last week, in, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we saw uh, Matt O'Connor from Fathers for Justice uh, breaking into the, uh, uh, the stream of, of, of uh, banalities coming from the stage of the Rose of Tralee, uh, and I cheer him to the echo. Um, but what an, what, a, what an extraordinary situation that we have gay marriage now and fathers are still having to pull stunts in order to be given the regard that nature intended them to have in the first place. What sort of society do we have now? Um, is it to do with you know, a more taking a more slick, sophisticated attitude that, say, the LGBT um, lobby had the Chuck Feeney money, you know, and there's money oh, now yeah. flowing into the repeal the eighth campaign. I wonder if you were a PR advisor, what advice could you give to 
father's rights campaigners. Cut to your say, balls off. <laughs> really? Yeah. Is that it? That's about it. It is a deep prejudice. We have talked for years about prejudice. This is the deepest prejudice of all, that fathers are not appropriate parents for children. You know, what's actually happened in our family law system is, in fact, I find it time and again, I talk to men about this, that the contest that is being set up between fathers and mothers is actually a contest to be the best mother. It is not a contest. Nobody knows what a father does anymore. Nobody remembers what their own father did, particularly judges and politicians. They haven't a clue what they're talking about. You know, they want to do a bit of reading, a bit of going out and talking to people and find out what kind of country this is now. Um, you know, I remember uh, reading a piece long ago by, by uh, Robert Bly, uh, the American poet, and he talked about, it made me cry when I read it, because he, he said, you know, what, that we've lost the great father. We've lost as a result of the Industrial Revolution because the father was driven out of the home to work in the coal mines and in the factories. And he said that we have lost this thing. The first time in six million years of human evolution that we've lost this. He said that in the past, the father fumbled incompetently with nuts and bolts and saws in full view of his children, leaving spaces between his competences for his children to grow. That was what the father did. He taught the world, he taught the child how the world was put together and how to negotiate the world. And that's missing. It's all now about changing nappies and making sandwiches. You know, I, I can make a sandwich with my eyes closed, with my toes. You know what I mean? It's nonsense. And, and Would you recognise, though, that that arose, that culture of suspecting the father arose, particularly in this country, where there were so many women that were abandoned? And locked up and, well, you know, uh, destroyed come on, by... Well, come on, Sarah, I, I don't accept that that's down to fathers. I mean, in any situation, I did an interview recently for a, a Canadian uh, uh, film company who were making a documentary about this very issue, uh, the way that what happened to those women and children. But I said, you know, in what sense would it be suggested or could it be suggested that the fathers had more right to intervene in the process that was taking place to take the child, to whisk the child away, spirit the child away than the mother had? Mm. I mean, the father had absolutely no rights. He had no voice. He was a subject. He was probably a young man in maybe 19, 20, 21. What capacity had he to intervene and stop this procedure taking place? It's complete nonsense. It's prejudice, which has been generated by years and years of, of, of uh, propaganda. And, you know, these are young men and the child is deprived um, by the loss of its father as it is by the loss of its mother. And this is something we can't accept. The, I, I encounter it all the time. You know, there's this idea. It's amazing thing, Sarah. You know, we have come a long way in terms of our, 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 the way we speak about people, different categories of people and so on. But there's one category you can say or what you like about now, and that's fathers. I mean, as soon as you start to talk about fathers and their rights to their children, the first thing people say, oh, what about rapists? If you use that logic in relation to black people or uh, gay people, in other words, invoke a prejudice, uh, the most extreme situation conceivable, you will be put in jail. That's what would happen to you. Mm. And rightly so. But you can say what you like about fathers. I am really sick of it. I'm sick of the posturing of politicians. I'm sick of the posturing of journalists, the way they go on. I mean, I, I've talked about this for 20 years and, and I wrote about it uh, in the Irish Times. I know who, who was there and who wasn't there. I know who supported the cause and who didn't support it. I know the people who opposed me. Uh, the people who opposed me, by and large, were the people to be found on the front line of the uh, gay marriage uh, referendum, arguing for a change in the constitution. Almost to a man and And are woman. they there now on repeal the 8th? They are. The same people. The same people. Talking about human rights. Um, and I know who they are. And I mean, if I had time, I would name them. But, uh, you know, I will name them in due course. But 
journalist now. It's interesting. Matt O'Connor comes here and he, he, I, I love Matt and, and, and he's a wonderful guy. And he asked me to take part in the stunt with him and I, I thought about it for 24 hours and I said, Matt, you know, if I do it with you, it'll be all about me. It'll be John Waters making an ass of himself. It won't be about Fathers for Justice. It, it'll be another opportunity for all these so-called journalists to have a go at John Waters. So I decided to sit it out. Now, the point is, you know, the, 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 the uh, uh, rights of fathers are natural. They're inalienable imprescriptible, as it says in the Constitution. They cannot be given up and they cannot be taken away. I don't want them to give us rights. I want them to stop getting in the way of the rights we have as of right and as of nature.